So as we talked about last week with, with the book of Jonah, one of the things about the book of Jonah is, is that it is a complex piece of, of literary art. It really is. It is truly an um, incredibly written book because the book of Jonah really serves two main purposes, I think. And the first one is this, that Jonah shows us God's sovereignty God's grace and God's mercy. We see it on display all over the book. And you know what? In chapter one, we're going to see God's sovereignty completely on display, right? God is going to be in control of the storms. God is going to be in control of a fish. Uh, Later on, God is, is going to be in control of plants and all kinds of things that God displays his sovereignty throughout this book. But he also displays his kind mercy and his grace. And we're going to talk about that this, this week as well. And, and really, because there are two main themes in the book, it's going to come up over and over throughout these next four weeks. Okay, so, so Jonah works at, at two levels. It works showing us uh, the sovereignty, grace, and mercy of God. But as I said, it's a literary piece of art that, that I think God wonderfully designed to do more than just to show us an attribute about God, because there's something about the story of Jonah, something about the book of Jonah that hits us at another level, at a deeper level. And that's this, Jonah serves as a, as a mirror, right? Think of it as like looking in a mirror. And, and maybe, maybe you have a really high self-image of yourself, but sometimes you can look in the mirror and you know what? Even if you have a high self-image, it doesn't hide the flaws, especially if you get one of those mirrors that's like, like the super magnifying mirror. You know what I'm talking about? Like the mirror within the mirror kind of thing where you can get up closer and see like every tiny little like, you know, pore in your face, right? Like every imperfection is exposed. Jonah, if we will let it, will work on us like a mirror. It will expose every little imperfection within us. It serves as a mirror to expose our tendencies to be just like Jonah. We talked about last week how, how in Jonah, like the stories around Jonah, the kids' stories, and all the stories we grew up hearing about Jonah, make Jonah into a hero. Yet, if, if you did what I asked and, and, and you read the book last week, um, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to read the book of Jonah all the way through. And in fact, if you did last week, do it again, because we need to let this book simmer and, and let this book, you know, kind of marinate with us, I guess. Um, you know, uh, like, because... Like I said, this book works at a level of exposing our tendencies to be like Jonah. And Jonah, as we read the book, we see he is no hero. Jonah is the anti-hero. He's a guy, as you read the book, honestly, it's, he's hard to like. He's a guy, he's hard to like. And yet, if we're honest, when we really look, we see we are often Jonah. So as we come to chapter 1, we need to read Jonah chapter 1 with that in mind, with the two things in mind, what God is showing us about who he is, but also what God is showing us about who we are. And so the book of Jonah, we kind of went through the first couple of verses last week. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up 
and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time... Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted. Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Let's stop there. Let's look at a few things. Here's here's the first thing we see. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I have something incredible for you to do. You know, often like that's the kind of, we want that kind of call in our lives. We want to, to feel significance and worth. We want to feel like we have something important to do. And here's Jonah. God comes to Jonah and says, look, I've got something really important for you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. These people, they're the most wicked people in like the entire world. Like they're awful. I want you to go to them and I want you to tell them that I'm angry with what they're doing and that if they don't stop, I'm going to destroy them right? My justice, right? We've talked many times in church about God's mercy and also God's justice, that God is a God of, of justice. And, and he says, look, I see the wickedness that these people are doing, and if they don't stop, there's going to be consequences. And I want you to go and to, and, to, and to tell them that. And what does Jonah do? He doesn't go to Nineveh, to the east, you know, to Iraq. No, he gets on a boat and he heads for Spain to Tarshish to as absolutely far away in, my, in Jonah's mind as he could get from Nineveh. He runs from God, displaying his unwillingness to serve God. What we find in Jonah is, is rebellion, like a total rebellion against God's sovereignty, against God's mercy, against God's grace, and you know what? For the people who, who read Jonah for the first time when it was written, they would have been shocked. Like this guy, he's supposed to be the most upright religious. Like he is, he's a prophet, a guy who comes and delivers the messages of God to the people. Like he's the guy who should be the most religious person in this story, the person closest to God in the story. And yet Jonah runs away. This would have shocked the people who first heard the story. And you know what? It's meant to shock us Two. Jonah obviously had forgotten the Psalms, right? He had forgotten the Psalm 139 where it says, where could I run away from your presence? If I lived across the sea, even there, your hand would take hold of me, right? Jonah seems to have forgotten that there's no running away from God. And so many people think, too, what Jonah's doing is not thinking he can really, truly, fully run away from God, but instead he's running away from God's call on his life. He says, God, I know you have things that you want me to do, a way you want me to live my life, and do you know what? I'm not on board. I'm not okay with this. I want to, to do what I want to do. And do you know what? As long as what you want me to do fits with what I want to do, then great, I'll do it. But when, it, when we've got a conflict here, hold on, I'm done. I'm out. You know, I'll do a lot of things, but I won't do that. I'm done. I'm out, right? And so Jonah runs. And what we find is, is a theme 
within this first chapter begin to emerge. I told you Jonah is a, is a really beautiful piece of, of literary art. And what we find is this theme in the Hebrew that comes up several times. And it's the theme of going down. We find Jonah going down. First, in, in verse 3, we find Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And then we read, and, and in the Hebrew, the, the, the New Living Translation doesn't make this very clear. If you're looking at, at maybe like the, the English Standard Version or something, it may make it a bit more uh, clear. I actually didn't have a look at the NIV, which is weird because I know a lot of you use it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure how clear it makes it. But, but Jonah then went down into the boat is literally how, how it read. Um, so he went down to the port of Joppa. He went down into a boat leaving for Tarshish. And then it says in verse 5, then that Jonah went down into the hold. And again, the New Living kind of obscures that a bit, fearing for their lives. The desperate sailors, sorry, why do I have that as verse? Uh, sorry, yeah. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. But really, literally, it means Jonah had, been, had gone down into the hold. So we find Jonah going down to Joppa, going down into the boat, and going down into the very lowest part of the boat. Jonah is descending. And we contrast that with, with um, psalms, that, that were the psalms of ascent. And they're called the psalms of ascent because Jerusalem was built on a mountaintop. And the temple was there on a mountaintop. And when people went to worship God, they went up to meet with God. And yet we find Jonah continually going down, down, down. Now in chapter 1, we're not told why Jonah decided to run, why Jonah rebelled against God. It's not until chapter 4 and I'm going to go ahead and just give us the, the spoiler. We'll get back there again. But, but Jonah says the reason that he ran, in chapter 4, he tells God the reason that he ran is because he knew the type of character that God possessed, that he was slow to anger, that he was abounding in steadfast love. Guys, everywhere else in the Bible, except for Jonah, when, the, when that phrase and it is used several times throughout the Old Testament about who God is. When, it, when we're talking about the character of God, it is always in praise. It is always looking at, at as a good thing. And Jonah throws it in God's face. He says, I ran because I knew you were a God who was slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I knew you would do this, that you would relent and rescue the people of Jonah. And if you missed last week, there's a spoiler for you. God is going to rescue. God is going to relent and save the people of, of Nineveh. So Jonah throws it in God's face. This is why I ran, because I knew what you would do, and I didn't want you to do it. He knew God would relent and not destroy Nineveh. And it's precisely because of who God is that Jonah is running away. And I wonder, guys, for you and me, and this is an important question that we have to ask, soul searching that we have to do, is what do we do when God seems to get in the way of what we want? 
I'm going to ask that again. What do we do? What do you do? What do you do when God gets in the way of what you want? Do you say, okay, God, you know better. I trust you, and I will do what you say. Or let's hold that mirror up for a second and ask. Do we do what Jonah does? Do we run? Do we say, God, I know you said, but I don't want to do it. You know what, God? I, I know you gave, a, a, like in the Bible, you lay out a way of life, a way that you say leads to life. But you know what? I want to be able to, I want to, be able to have sex with who I want. I don't want to, I don't want to wait. Do you say, do you know what, God? I, I know your vision of generosity says that I should love other people more than I love myself, that I should be willing to give to others. But you know what? I've wanted this car for, for a long time. And it's a really nice car, and I've got to have a lot of money to buy that car. And I know I could help these people, but, but I want this. Or to say, you know what? I, I, I need this thing or I need that thing. And we, and we start piling up all these things that we think we need instead of being generous like God has asked us, instead of being willing to share the things that we have, we hoard them and keep them to ourselves. We say, God, I know, but... What about justice? We want justice for everybody else. You know what? That's not fair what they did to me. That's not fair what this person has done. How come they got away with that? But when it comes to our own lives, what do we want? Mercy. We want God to show us grace. You know what, God? Hey, just take it easy on me. So often, and I bring these three examples up just because I think they're big ones within our culture. They're big ones that as Christians we're going to struggle with because of the culture that we live in that preaches all of these things to us. We are going to be tempted to have these moments like Jonah to say, yeah, God, I know, but. And to go down, down, down. To, to run from the God who loves us to run from the God who cares and into the arms of a world that wants to use you and to get what they can from you. And so we find Jonah down at the bottom of the hold and a storm appears. And God sends this storm. We find God sovereign over the storm. It says that... Um, in the book of, of Jonah, that the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea. See, for as much as Jonah is rebellious, God is a gracious God who pursues. And we find God pursuing Jonah even as he runs. Because not only does God love Jonah, but God loves the sailors on that boat and God loves the people in Nineveh and God pursues. But I have to say, you, you can't help but feel sorry for the sailors because they're caught up innocently, really, 
in the wake of the consequences of Jonah's sin. Right? These sailors, they've done nothing wrong necessarily. I mean, some guy came, paid a fare, wanted to join them on their trip to Tarshish, and they, they let him. Like, what have they done? Nothing. Yet they are reaping the consequences of Jonah's rebellion and Jonah's sin. And guys, I feel sorry for them. And, and maybe you do too. Maybe you're reading that like going, how could this happen to them? They didn't do anything wrong. They're caught up innocently in the wake of the consequences of the sin of Jonah. And the irony is the storm that woke the sailors up, that left them knowing that something was going on, like they had an awareness that somebody had done something and that there was consequences happening for it and they were scrambling to figure out what it was. And all this time that they're scrambling and terrified, this storm was rocking Jonah deeper into sleep. Down, down, down. And Jonah is blissfully unaware of the consequences that his sin is reaping on other people. Guys, I wonder if that's you and me. I don't wonder. I know. I don't know why I said I wonder. I know. That is what happens with sin. Guys, I have seen it in my life. I have seen it in others' lives. It is like a thing we can observe. Like if you're into science, like you can observe this. That our sin often has dire consequences, sometimes even worse consequences for other people than it even does for the person who is sinning. Sin has consequences. And we live in a world that says over and over, you know what, you just do what's right for you. And you know what, as long as nobody gets hurt. Guys, I'm sorry, people get hurt. Sin has collateral damage. And these sailors are facing the collateral damage of Jonah's sin. And I wonder how often are we blissfully unaware of the consequences that our sin is having on other people. Maybe people who don't even realize that they're negative consequences. Maybe through our sin, people are more and more looking at you and saying, you know what, you're a Christian or I'm a Christian. And look at them. Consequences. Look at them. They, they don't seem to care about God. Or, or, or maybe, like, you know what? Through our, our, our sin. You know what? We cheat a little bit here and there at work to get ahead. But guess what? That ends up with somebody else not getting the promotion they deserve. That ends up with somebody else getting fired. You say, oh, well, it didn't hurt anybody. You know, I just kind of fudged the numbers here and there. It made me look a little better. Yeah, but somebody who was deserving of a promotion missed out on it. And you got it because you cheated. Their sin has consequences. And maybe that then has a knock-on effect on their entire family. You know, how does that then affect their children? Because their, their mother or father isn't making quite as much money, and so they're not able to afford quite as many things or, or, or whatever. Like, do you understand, like, there are long-reaching consequences of sin, even sometimes little things that we don't think make that big of a deal. And you know what? I really think is that this, like, nobody in, like, starts out going, I'm going to be a monster. But so often through little decisions, 
over and over, we reach a point where all of a sudden when we wake up, when we're confronted with our sin, like Jonah will be here in a minute, we, we are, are left going, how did I get here? And guys, I could give you a bunch of examples of this, but it's ridiculous. I don't need to because you know, you've seen this, you've experienced this. Maybe you've been the victim of this, or maybe you've been on the side where you're going, I don't know how I got here. When we hold that mirror up, we see we are so often Jonah. Our sin puts us to sleep like Jonah spiritually and relationally. And we see it reaping consequences. So there's, you know, I, I said there are kind of like themes or motifs that run. The first one that I mentioned was going down, down, down. And it's this idea of instead of going up to, to the presence of God, to following God and doing what he wants, Jonah goes down, down, down. Little decisions that lead more and more into rebellion and sin against God. And this rebellion has consequences and it leads the sailors to fear. And this is another theme we see pop up in Jonah chapter one. So in verse 5, it says, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold, so, this captain, so the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this, he shouted. Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Now, just a side note, that word worship there is more literally translated fear. I fear the Lord. And maybe your translation actually says, says that. It has that idea of fear and, and worship. So the New Living isn't wrong to translate it that way. I just want us to see this theme uh, appearing. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For, they had already told, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Ah, oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked up Jonah, threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now, again, that awestruck, the sailors feared the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. There, we finished chapter one. Did you hear that theme of, of fear? It seems to play a big role in this chapter. The sailors, they fear the storm in verse five. 
And Jonah says he fears the Lord or he worships the Lord in verse 9. In verse 10, then, the sailors fear God all the more. They're so angry at Jonah, like, oh my gosh, why would you do this to us? They're terrified. And then in verse 16, we find the sailors, after they've thrown Jonah overboard and the sea calms, the sailors worship God. And so the sailors progress from fearing the storm to fearing the Lord. There's a great irony isn't in there, isn't it? Jonah, the one who says he fears the Lord, the one who is a Hebrew who's supposed to fear the Lord, is precisely the one who is in the hold asleep and seems to have no real reverence or fear for God, right? Like his claim to fear the Lord seems pretty hollow as he has uh, run away from God. I mean, we've been reading the story. We know, like, I'm sorry, Jonah, but your claim to fear the Lord doesn't hold a lot of weight. But what we see in the sailors is a transition from being terrified of God to worshiping God. And it's amazing. It's just a side note here. God can take even our failures, our flaws, our mistakes, our sin, and sometimes use it to reach people. You know what? Sometimes our sins we talked about has dire consequences that leads people down the path of total rejection of God. It happens. But once in a while, God shows that he is so sovereign that even in our sin, God can reach people. Now, this is not a, hey, you know what, keep on sinning so that God's mercy will abound and then everybody will come to know God, right? You know, Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 8, or sorry, Romans chapter 6. Do we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. Absolutely not. But we can trust that sometimes like God can work even through our sin. So maybe for some of us, Jonah then serves as as a wake-up call. Because we live in a culture, you know, and I said this a minute ago, that, that has this kind of anything goes so long as nobody gets hurt. But our actions have collateral damage. And so Jonah's descent into rebellion and spiritual apathy was made up of, of lots of different compromises. And it's the same for us. Our sin is made up of a million different compromises that lead us into the bottom of the boat. And it leaves Jonah to saying he fears the Lord as a storm rages because of his rebellion. And I wonder... How often does what we say about God come into conflict with what the way we live? Like, I follow Jesus, yet my life looks nothing like Jesus. I, I worship Jesus, yet I ignore the things that he calls my life to look like. You know, the, the things that he wants for my life, when it gets in the way of what I want to do, I ignore it. Like, right? It rings hollow. As Leslie Allen says, the wonder is that Jonah can recite such a creed and yet show disrespect to the commands of the God whose sovereignty it celebrates. And I come back to this thing, guys, you and I so often are Jonah. Hold that mirror up. 
How often is that me? How often is that you? So Jonah then finally tells the sailors, you know what, just throw me overboard. And we're left with the question, is this a selfless act of Jonah? Perhaps, maybe. Has he finally said, you know what, I, I'm guilty, I, I relent, you know, I deserve to die? Perhaps. But I wonder if it's not the most selfish thing almost Jonah does in the entire book, at least up to this point. I think Jonah is so selfish that he would rather die than pray and return to God because he knows that returning to God would mean a going to Nineveh. And so for Jonah, it's going to end up taking an even bigger wake-up call. And it's going to come. You know, Jonah's going to end up getting swallowed by a fish, and next week we're going to talk about that. We're going to address that. And, and remember what we said in chapter one, or in, in the very first sermon. The fish is not the thing. It takes up a small, small bit of the, uh, of the story. And you know what? The author just kind of goes by as if it's not a big deal. Right? So the fish is not the thing, but, a fi- but the fish does show God's control and sovereignty over all creation and God's grace and mercy. And we're going to talk about that next week. But Jonah's going to need a bigger wake-up call. He's going to need to go down, down, down once more before he can begin the journey up. And I wonder if you and I sometimes are the same. It takes hitting rock bottom before we realize who we really have become before we see the damage that we have done both to ourselves and to others. And so one of the big themes of this book is don't be Jonah. Don't be Jonah. We don't have to be Jonah. Guys, if you have not hit rock bottom yet, great. Stop right now. Stop right now. You know what? The sailors asked Jonah to pray to God. Did he? No. Could he have? Yes. Would God have relented and said, okay, fine. If you're willing, if you're going to repent and you're willing to go to Nineveh, I'll stop the storm. I got, like, I've accomplished what I was trying to get through to you. I was trying to get through to you. Maybe. I mean, we don't know because Jonah didn't do it. But guys, what I know is that it's, it's never, like, like, you haven't hit the point where it's, like, too late to come back. It's never too late to come back. And so we need someone to wake us up. We don't need to be Jonah. And the thing is, is that Jesus comes. And this is the good news of the grace and the mercy. You know, we've talked about the side of it of you and I are Jonah, but let's talk, let's come back to the sovereignty and grace and mercy of God. Because where as Christians now on this side of the cross, do we see God's grace and mercy and sovereignty most fully displayed? On the cross. God could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. God chose to show his grace and his mercy, his love, how much he loves you and me and how much he desires for us to live our lives in line with his kingdom. So we, we are Jonah, but God's grace shown to us in Christ is calling us, begging us to stop going down, down, down and instead to turn to him and to be a part of his kingdom. That's what God is calling for you. That's what God is wanting for me, for all of us. And you know what? This book was written to people who were part of the family of God. And if you're a Christian, this message is for you too. Stop. Turn back to God. Reorient your life. We have to be constantly doing that. 
reorienting our life. Stop fleeing. Stop the wake of destruction. Turn around. Give yourself to him. Because it's in Christ that we find peace, that we experience God's mercy and grace and kindness. And Because we weren't deserving of it. Jonah wasn't deserving of it. And this is going to be the great irony of the book. Jonah wasn't deserving at all of God's grace and mercy. And yet God has shown it to him. And Jonah should have wanted that grace and mercy for others too, but he doesn't. But guys, when we look at Jesus and what he has done for us, that's precisely the way our reaction should be. We should want God's grace and mercy, the same mercy and grace we have experienced for everyone else. And maybe you say, I, I can't. I don't know how to turn. I don't know how to, to start. Here's what I would say. Start by turning to Jesus. Start by looking to Jesus. Start at the good news of what Jesus has done for you in Christ. Start by giving yourself to him then more and more, letting him take control of your life and experience then the freedom that comes with that. Let the Spirit lead you. Stop running. Come home. This is the story of Jonah. This is what we see in Jonah chapter 1. Guys, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who pursues.